Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, it's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, I am a sad, sad man. Why am I a sad, sad man? Because I saw the Mets lose the first three games of the series to the Dodgers, and yet I allowed the fourth game, the win after Javi Baez returned and very much appeared to energize the Mets offense with a couple of doubles to give me some strange sense of optimism about a team that is currently two games below 500, that has three games on deck with the San Francisco Giants, a team with the best record in the majors, but which then has 14 games against the Nationals and the Marlins, and now Pete Alonso is hitting, uh, Javi Baez is back. Sounds like Francisco Lindor is coming back in, if not on Tuesday tonight as we record this, then then certainly sometime soon. We've seen uh, Brandon Nimmo is hitting. We've seen encouraging at backs from Michael Conforto, from Jeff McNeil. It feels like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I still think there might be a run left in this team. It's getting late quick. They don't have a lot of time, but I still feel like it. maybe it's there. Well, you know, it was just, what, uh, two weeks ago where everyone thought, like, well, the Phillies are, are running away with this division. They're playing mm-hmm. so well, uh, and the, the Phillies felt a little bit like they were peaking early, uh, and then they kind of fell on their face a bit since then. The Braves uh, have now had their nine-game winning streak that was built entirely against the Nats, Marlins, and Orioles, uh, and now their schedule gets a lot more difficult. They, they lost their first game against the Yankees on Monday. They play them again on Tuesday, then have a weird two straight days off issue uh, and then play San Francisco and L.A. themselves, uh, the, the second one of those on the road. And so they still have to go to San Francisco and San Diego in the month of September. Uh, no East Coast team likes West Coast road trips uh, any time of year, but especially in September when you're tired. Um, and the Mets, like you mentioned, they've got it's actually 15 straight because you've got the suspended game against the Marlins that still needs oh, to bad. be completed uh, on August 31st. So 15 straight against two teams that are not. Uh, playing good baseball. Uh, I think their records are about the same in August as the Mets, so this is a chance to take advantage of it. They didn't do that last time they were in Miami, so uh, 
you know, there's no guarantee that the Mets will come out of that 15-game stretch smelling like roses. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's certainly the opportunity for them to to go on a run if they want to. Uh, if, you know, there's the chance to go like 13-2 and two in that stretch uh, and see what happens with Atlanta, who's built that six-and-a-half game lead. Plus, there's the, you know, you're going to be healthier for that stretch than you were with this Giants-Dodgers stretch. Like we said going into it, one of the hard parts was like you knew you were not going to have Jacob deGrom and Francisco Lindor for those 13 games against San Francisco and LA. Turns out you didn't have Javi Baez for a lot of them as well. Uh, So uh, getting healthy from a position player standpoint, which is where they've struggled so much offensively, uh, you know, maybe, you know, it's, it's not over at this point in the season. We've, we've certainly seen teams come back from a a deficit of six and a half games with this amount of time left in the season. I fans know that very, very, when has that happened? Uh, And, and here's the thing, like, Braves fans know that. Braves fans, <laughs> like, the Braves, I think in part because the, the Red Sox did it the same year in 2011 and to a larger extent, but but Atlanta had the same kind of collapse in September that year where they blew, I think, like an eight-and-a-half game lead in the wild card over St. Louis uh, that season. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not insane, but the, you look at the, the schedule, it is August 24th, uh, there is not that much time left in this season. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. Is it six weeks? Is it a full six? It's 37. Yeah, just just under six weeks um, of baseball left. Uh, you got to pick up a game a week. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you have to do that. You have to start that process very quickly. Yeah, and I would say, and we'll talk more about this 15-game stretch, obviously, because we'll talk more uh, probably before it even starts. But to me, it's like if they don't if they don't manage to go 11 and four at the very least against against the Marlins and Nats in that in that stretch, the season's over, right? And that's um, that's not like from a a perception basis. I think that really would doom them right right? like this is the opportunity that they have to climb back into the mix here and if they fail on it then you have the second half of september and uh, more games against some better teams uh you know maybe you can squint and say okay there's there's a series against the brewers i think the second to last weekend of the the series and you could say oh maybe the brewers have it locked up by then and and so that becomes an easier series the final series of the season the first weekend of october they play the braves in atlanta that could be huge or um and i would say more likely at this point it could be completely meaningless but if they finally start playing like we hope and believe they can play like a team that had a borderline historically good offense in some weird ways in the shortened 2020 season then maybe just maybe the season is not yet done if uh, so, if I offered you the chance as a Mets fan to go into that final series in Atlanta, three games back with three to play, would you jump at that opportunity right now? I would sign up for that right now. And and I know obviously three games back with three to play in Atlanta, it makes it a, an extreme long shot. But I think it is. I think sweeping. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to like even speak out of turn without thinking about the odds a little bit more. But it feels like it is more unlikely that they crawl back into it by then than it is that they could, you know, sort of just get super hot and, and win three in to to finish it off. I mean, the, the weird thing is, like, if, you know, if they're two back going into that series, they, they also would need to sweep. Um, that it, it, it kind of operates the same way. They just wouldn't have to win a tiebreaker after that. Um, right. 
So yeah, it, it is, you know, like this, this series with San Francisco, I think, uh, is real. It's easy to like quickly overlook it, uh, especially with the recordings of the recording schedule we have here. It's like, oh, they finally got off the road. They're done with this long West Coast trip. Uh, and now it gets easier at home, but you still have these three games against a good team. The thing is, you're, you're not facing their very best starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not seeing, you know, Kevin Gosman's actually struggled outside of his one start against the Mets uh, last week. You're not seeing Logan Webb, who's pitched very well lately. Uh, you're, you're getting Sammy Long, who is uh, a pitcher that I did do not know very much about uh, on Tuesday. You're getting Johnny Cueto coming off of the injured list on Wednesday, and then Alex Wood on Thursday. I mean, like, good pitchers. Those last two, you know, are accomplished pitchers having very nice seasons, but not. Uh, it's not Scherzer and Bueller the way you had it in L.A. over the weekend. Uh, so there is more of an opportunity to uh, kind of more of an even ground when it comes to the starting pitching to start with uh, for the Mets to, to you know, hope maybe win more than the last game of the series this time. And, and I think what was optimistic about Sunday was like that was the first time in so long that the Mets just led straight through a game. Like it was a wire-to-wire win. Uh, and we've talked about even in their wins in the month of August, which there haven't been a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of like late comebacks, like the Wednesday in San Francisco where they only led after one inning, but it was the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had led for 22 in- at the end of 22 innings in the first 21 days of August, and then they led for all nine on Sunday, uh, which just felt different for them. And, you know, I mean, it's it's one game, and I shouldn't read too much into it, but it was something we talked about when they traded for Baez, is it's a it's a and it's something they've talked about. I, I we've heard Luis Rojas talk about it quite a bit. Like this offense, and and you talked about it last week. Like there nothing feels more lifeless about a baseball team than a struggling a struggling offense. And there is arguably no livelier player. That's not to say no better player. There are certainly better players, but maybe no livelier player in the major leagues than Javi Baez. And so when you see that guy come back and and hit a double early and do the cool slide and and you just see the energy he brings, even if you're skeptical about this type of stuff, it's hard not to at least, you know, let it linger there that that maybe this is what this team needs to to spark that offense. Well, it was just such a different feel when they came through in the first inning and like not just got the one run on, on Baez's double, mm-hmm. uh, but added two more to it and had a, a you know, a somewhat comfortable three nothing lead early in that game. Uh, and, and Marcus Stroman gave up the, the two RBI single to, to Cody Bellinger, I believe in the fourth inning. Uh, but after that retired, I think the, the next eight or something in a row uh, and was, was cruising from, for the most part, uh, over the course of the game, and then they were able to add on later in the game uh, with with uh, JD Davis's home run, and then a, a couple uh, a bad Shane Green inning to make that like a comfortable win. And uh, like I said, in a way that they haven't had before. And and you know, Baez brings a certain kind of energy, and it's just I think it's easy when someone who hasn't been a part of the struggles comes back because you can ascribe the struggles to their absence mm-hmm. a little bit. Like like Baez for the most part doesn't own what's happened to the Mets uh, in the month of August. He was part of it, uh, you know, for the first 10 days or so, uh, but hadn't been part of it lately. So, you know, his return, you can say, well, you know, we haven't been that bad with him in the lineup yet, even if there was a little stretch. And and certainly with Lindor, it's different because uh, he hasn't been part of it at all, really. You know, the Mets were comfortably in first place when uh, Francisco Lindor went out. Uh, and so when he comes back and, you know, I, I think, 
Lindor does have this engaging, positive presence for the Mets, uh, and he's been he's tried to maintain that over the course of the time he's been on the injured list. Uh, that uh, like he's been with the team, he hasn't been like off rehabbing in some other geographic location. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's different to be a leader when you're not on the field constantly, uh, especially for a guy who's very used to that. Uh, in in Francisco Lindor, I, I had one Mets player tell me like, you know, you look at. Uh, like late May and early June. I forget if I said this on the last podcast. Uh, <laughs> you look at late May and early June, uh, and when we were playing with all these replacement guys, but Lindor was there. Like Lindor was ninety percent of the reason we kept winning. Uh, it was just the the attitude that he had, the way he kept everyone focused on the right things. Uh, and, Take and- that, Jacob Degrom. <laughs> Uh, and, and kept us on point basically uh, during a, uh, during what seemed like it was going to be a really tough stretch. Uh, and so I think you know they're, the, the Mets as a whole are really looking forward to what they look like again uh, with Lindor, who again w- was hitting better too before he uh, landed on the, the IL. He's been better basically since June first, uh, and so we'll see if that's able to continue as well. And for all the talk of it, you know we still haven't seen this middle infield of Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez, forgetting even, you know, the the energy stuff and the chemistry stuff. Like, that is a tantalizingly good middle infield defense for a team which, uh, to the surprise of many, including, I think, both of us, that has played pretty good defense all year. Yeah, I mean, they've been one of the best defensive teams in baseball, according to defensive runs saved. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with the way they position themselves, That, like I wrote about earlier in the season. But, you know, with Lindor and Baez, that's, those are two of the best uh, up-the-middle defenders in baseball. And, and uh, two guys who go about it a little bit differently. I think Baez is probably a flashier player up the middle, probably the flashiest that the Mets have had since Ray Ordonez. Uh, so that should be very fun to watch. It'll be interesting to see how Luis Rojas uh, balances the lineup because that, that having everyone back, that gives him kind of nine everyday players. Uh, if you count, you know, McNeil and Jeff David. <laughs> Jeff Davis. Jeff Davis. Jeff McNeil. Uh, thankfully, and he J- is not Davis. not welcome on this team. <laughs> um, and and even ten, if you want to throw VR in there, because VR has 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 been one of the guys who's been pretty consistent uh, over the course of the season. He hasn't gone into the deep slumps that some of the other players have. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. McNeil played in the outfield on Sunday for the first time, coming off the bench. Uh, you know, he's had his struggles at third base in the last two years in the very limited amount of time that he's played there. And, and Davis is playing a little bit better now uh, that, than he was for a stretch. So uh, I'm interested in seeing like what the lineup looks like on Tuesday. You know, they, they face a pair of left-handers in this series uh, against San Francisco. If McNeil or Dom Smith is the, the odd man out for a couple days, um, you know, and it's, so it's not like a bad thing for those guys to not play every day. Both of them are dealing with uh, some some nagging injuries. You know, McNeil's certainly not running 100% when he's on the mm-hmm. bases because of his leg his leg stuff. Dominic Smith, uh, you know, this is his first time playing a full season as an everyday player in the major leagues. It's his first time getting this many plate appearances since 2018. He has more already this year than in 2019 and 2020 combined uh, across the season. Uh, so it's, it's not a surprise that he's going through something Uh, in the month of August where he's not operating at his peak offensive capability and he's dealing with his own uh, nagging issues as well with a a wrist and a he had a groin issue earlier in the year and is just doesn't you know doesn't seem like fully connected uh, with his swing The, the bottom half doesn't seem in time with the top half which is why he's going the other way a lot more uh, but kind of softer than you would like. Uh, so I, th- I think having the extra, having, having Baez and Lindor in your middle infield, and then you're kind of deciding between, uh, you know, 
out with Davis, VR, McNeil, and Smith, like one of those guys is going to, or sorry, two of those guys are going to start and two of them are going to sit every day. Uh, that, that strengthens your bench. That gives you a, bit, a few more options what to do with your lineup and matchup with a, a starting pitcher. Yeah, it pushes everyone down the depth chart two rungs, right? And so it means, you know, not only are you putting out a better starting lineup every night, but when it gets to the late game at bats, and I don't want to dive too deep, but I'm sure that you, like me, had some questions about uh, whatever game it was that that uh, oh it was the, it was the win it was when when they left in Stroman to hit for himself and that whole sequence with uh, uh, not pinch hitting and who you're pinch hitting like it it gives Luis Rojas uh, much more compelling options late in the game if you need a righty bench bat and and that's J D Davis instead of Kevin Pillar or you need a lefty bit bench bat and that is McNeil or Smith or 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 VR even um, and not Travis Blankenhorn you know and so. Um, it just, again, like it just makes the whole team go figure when the players are healthy and the regulars are around, the whole team looks quite a bit better. Yeah. And, and we've seen the value of pinch hitting, like they're they're playing the giants this week. Uh, that, that team's gotten 14 pinch hit home runs, back-to-back wins off of late game, go ahead, pinch hit home runs. Uh, it is important to have a good bench. Uh, the, the Mets had it at the very start of the year, then they, they had to dive into it. Uh, a lot more than they expected, and maybe in the next uh, couple days it gets back to being uh, a good bench again the way they planned it at the beginning of the year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Switching gears briefly, because we talked a little bit about the Mets longtime broadcasters last week, and we heard a relatively fresh voice in the SNY booth over the weekend. Now, I know you were in Los Angeles, so I'm not sure you were uh, able to enjoy and delight in the way I did Todd Zeal's very well-informed and considered hot dog takes. <laughs> Todd so Zeal I, has like a lot of interesting things to say about hot dogs. I was very <laughs> impressed. I, uh, I usually do listen to the broadcast, but I did not on Sunday because I was working on a story. Uh, I did my favorite part of Todd Zeal's weekend uh, because I didn't hear the hot dog takes. So you can, you can tell me what I missed on Sunday. But uh, I did like there was, I forget who it was on the Dodgers who hit a home run that bounced off like the top of the wall in left field and went over. And they, you know, the, the wall at Dodger stadium, it's got a flat top to it. It's not like curved or anything. The ball can't bounce off the top and come back into play. Mm-hmm. And Todd Zeal just goes, Oh, I, you know, I like the flat part, flat top of the wall ball just bounces, bounces over that. That's less confusing for a hitter or something like that. And I was, 
you know, every Mets fan has to think like, of course, Todd Zeal feels that way. Of course, right. he in particular feels that way. Timo Perez also would prefer a flat top to the wall. That would be less confusing for the base runners. Uh, yeah, that that is is spot on. Uh, Zeal's hot dog take. So, uh, you know, it was the lead in was they were talking about Dodger dogs. Gary Cohen astutely pointed out that uh, he didn't think Dodger dogs were anything special. I also don't. Uh, having had my share of Dodger dogs, they're good. They're because they're hot dogs. But there's nothing that stands out to me about a Dodger dog. Also, the Dodger dogs that they were showing on the SNY broadcast look nothing like any real-life Dodger dog I have ever seen because they were all, like, very well and crisply grilled, whereas I feel like every time I, I get a dog there, it's, like, just a little towards the not-quite-heated-enough uh, uh realm of hot dogs but then zeal said well these are the hot dogs i grew up with as an as an la guy and a dodger fan and so he could appreciate that he might have uh some nostalgia for them and then you know went on to sort of uh analyze the hot dogs that he did like or or at least detail the ones he did like he mentioned grace papaya he said he was not uh, above getting a street hot dog when he lived in New York City, when he was playing in New York City, uh, and then went on, and I thought, you know, I, this, I uh, underestimated him. I thought he was just, like, throwing a bone to Shake Shack because they're affiliated with the Mets, but he actually knew about how they split and grill them at Shake Shack and, and the way that provides more surface area and, and a little bit more of that snap you want from a hot dog, and I came away just feeling like Todd Zeal is a guy who can talk about hot dogs. <laughs> hot dog expert Todd Zeal. Right. It is like I think I, I don't eat hot dogs that often. It's it's always in the summer, uh, obviously. Uh, and like ballpark hot dogs in general are not that that good. Like I right. had uh, I got a Dodger dog on I think it was Friday night because they have you know in the press box at Dodger Stadium they they bring in like a stack of Dodger dogs after they they've served their pregame meal. So if you want something during the game, you can get a Dodger dog. And I was a little hungry. Uh, and I opened it up and like I looked at it and I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I don't want really I don't really want this No, because <laughs> um, it just didn't look that appealing. Uh, and I had like three bites and I was like, yep, not not worth it. Um, so and I feel like too many ballpark. You know, like I, I like a very grilled kind of charred kind of mm -hmm. hot dog. Uh, so uh, there have been a couple of times this, this year, this summer where I've gone back to my parents house uh, in like the afternoon to, to run an errand or something uh, or, you know, we're, we're down there for the weekend. Uh, and I have made my dad grill me like two hot dogs for lunch because those like the way he does the hot dog on the grill. I believe they are boar's head hot dogs. Um, Very good hot dogs. That it's just like that is what I want my hot dog experience to be rather than whatever the ballpark does to create them in mass. You know, I've I, I, I not had the Shake Shack hot dog, but that does sound like something I should consider trying in the future. Shake Shack hot dog is so. Um, if you have a four-year-old, you eat a you turn your hot dog consumption goes way up, um, <laughs> and so Shake Shack hot dogs very much in the in the spectrum of things I eat, um, especially like the last the remaining one quarter of a Shake Shack hot dog once he notices that there's a milkshake on the table, um, and yeah, they're they're very good. Boar's Head Hot Dogs, uh, I believe it's the natural casing, I want to say, that makes the difference there. Excellent hot dogs. Um, someone, one of our, our listeners, a uh, regular listener, someone whose questions we've handled before, and this isn't our, our real question for the week, but it is a real question. He wants to know if you've ever had a New York City street cart hot dog or if you're too good for them. 
Uh, I I definitely have. It's been a while. I have not mm-hmm. had one since moving to New York. Uh, I, I think the last time I had one was probably uh, it was within the last decade because it was I was covering the Red Sox and I was just in town to cover a series. And I didn't have time to get like a real lunch. It was probably a first game of the series and I was deciding between a nap or lunch. Uh, and on the way to the park, I just like got a hot dog at a street cart and it was fine. Like I'm yeah. not, you know, it's it's uh, there are better options in new york city to have for lunch there are options that are better and pretty much just as quick as a mm-hmm. new york city street hot dog but every once in a while you are in like that mood you know like the same when we've talked about like dominoes or something like there are there are foods that you understand they are not the best version of what they are but sometimes you're in a mood for that specific version of something uh and a, a hot dog fills that yeah i would say that a new york city street cart hot dog is like pretty much replacement level food and like every once in a while you know you gotta you gotta give some at bats to mason williams or cameron maven like you just you just need that so um you know it's a i don't think i don't think anyone has had any questions over whether i have ever had a new york city street card hot dog i think that that is uh more or less understood that it it does happen uh i, I don't think cool. i have any I don't think I have any questions over whether you've had like any kind of New York City food. Like I assume that you have had everything. I've had most things. Um, I haven't had, I mean, now new things open up and I don't leave my neighborhood anymore because I try not to take the subway and I don't really go anywhere because I have the kids and everything. So now there are like people are like, have you tried this new sandwich? Have you tried this place? Have you done? And I haven't. But, uh, you know, for in terms of staple foods, of course, I've, I've, I've been here a long time and I eat a lot. <laughs> Uh, we have more questions, um, including uh, you. You had actually uh, quite an interesting one, um, which I want to queue up for you because you are way, way better suited to answer it than me. But uh, you know who asked it, and I don't. Yeah, so I, I got a question. This is from Peter uh, on Twitter who asked uh, over the weekend. Um, I believe it was probably after uh, we said what the lineup was going to be on Sunday. Do we know how much input the front office has on the daily lineups? This is a question that uh, so many, I think the assumption from a lot of fans is that like Zach Scott is st- is going into Luis Rojas's office and is like, here's the lineup. This is what you're doing today. Um, and my understanding of how it works with the Mets uh, is that uh, like their analytics staff gives some, some, some recommendations, uh, mm-hmm. gives them some data to work with, with about like the type of starting pitcher they're going against, how their hitters fare against that type of starter, not just like righty lefty, but um, kind of the stuff that 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 pitcher has uh, and who might work for it uh, in the lineup. But uh, the actual nine guys is written out every day by by Rojas and Dave Jouse. Uh, The front office doesn't always agree with the the nine players uh, that they've chosen or the the way that they've ordered them. Right. Isn't that Uh, why isn't that why Sandy Alderson threw chairs or whatever? Uh, it was Brody who threw the chair. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I believe that was after a l- that was after a loss that they the bullpen blew it on Degrom. Um, so, well, so it, it doesn't really narrow it down. But uh, that that was the case. But there, there are plenty of there are plenty of stories of front office members frustrated with a manager's refusal to follow their recommendations. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know for instance, uh, sometimes when uh, like. You know, it's not just like who's in the lineup, but but how they're ordering them, uh, and if something's going on where where they're talking about like let's say a, a player's going through some some physical issues, not enough to take him out of the lineup, but maybe you'd move him down in the lineup rather than have him hit his normal spot or something like that. And 
uh, the front office has suggested those types of things uh, over the course of the season. And they're, again, not always uh, listened to in the same same fashion. That It's not like dictated to Rojas and, and Dave Joust. They also play it by feel a little bit, uh, which is an important thing for managers to do. Uh, that's why you have managers. Um, you can't just do it by the numbers. So it's not... This is, again, this is my understanding of how it works with the Mets from talking to a couple different people. Uh, it's it's not a lineup from on high. Uh, the front office is a part of the conversation, uh, especially the analytics group. Uh, but uh, it still comes down to, to how Rojas and, and Jouse uh, talk it through on a daily basis. And that feels like pretty much what you want, right? Because the manager is going to be the one with the feel for, like, there's... There are so many times, I think, when I, the, the one that jumps out at me is, is Juan Lagares a few years ago. Um, and I think you were still on the Red Sox beat. So I, and, you know, if unless you were uh, pretty tightly watching the Mets at, the, at that time, uh, you might have missed it. But uh, Lagares, when when everyone was pretty excited about him, he was this, you know, wonderful defender and a guy who looked like he was a, a I want to say this was like 2015, uh, a guy who seemed like a, a part of the Mets future who should get some playing time just sort of disappeared. And and it was like, what is Terry Collins doing? You know, why has has Juan Lagares? There was a hashtag. People were saying free Juan Lagares. Um, I was like, what's going on? You know, what? what? And like people wanted Terry. Con- of course, people, you know, people call for the manager's head constantly. People wanted Terry Collins fired for not playing Juan Lagares. What it turned out was that Lagares's like beloved aunt who had raised him was was sick. I think she she wound up passing away, um, and he he wasn't in the right state of mind to be playing every day. And so, um, and and I remember that happening like very very early in my career, beating up Willie Randolph for not using a reliever, and then it turned out that reliever's daughter had just had open heart surgery. Like these guys are human beings with like life stuff going on at the same time as they're playing baseball, and it's kind of like on the manager to know. Who's got stuff going on? Like who might need a day off? You know, whether it's a physical day off or a, a mental day off uh, at any given time, and that's that's not going to be something that that shows up in the analytics. And so there does need to be some sort of touch and feel to setting a lineup. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that I always try to remember when I am criticizing a, a managerial decision uh, is that I am always operating with in- an imperfect amount of information as mm-hmm. a reporter. Uh, you know, you don't know. Uh, the availability of certain guys in the bullpen, uh, you know, like uh, on Sunday when Marcus Stroman hits in the sixth inning, uh, I think top of the sixth, bases loaded, two outs in a, uh, it was still a 3-2 game at that point. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether someone like Aaron Loop was available out of the bullpen. He had pitched in, in two straight days. I knew Seth Lugo wouldn't be. He had pitched in two straight. Uh, but one of the reasons Stroman hit there was that, uh, you know, they didn't have Loop or Lugo out of the pen, so when Luis Rojas was looking at how to get the final 12 outs of that game, he basically had you know Familia, May, and Edwin Diaz for the last nine. It was Marcus Stroman or, or like maybe a Miguel Castro appearance a, a day after Castro had walked a bunch of guys on Saturday. Uh, he didn't have a set guy to go to for that sixth inning that wasn't Stroman, and, and that's the reason why he leaned toward hitting him in that spot. Uh, so that's, you know, if... If you don't know whether Loop is available, it's a lot easier to say, like, this is ridiculous that Stroman is hitting here without thinking through who's pitching the bottom half of that inning uh, because the, their bullpen is a little lighter than it usually is. So there, there's all, there are all these kinds of things. That's even that's an on-field kind of thing. But uh, all these types of things that you don't know what's going on with a player physically or mentally uh, on the side that, you know, some of the times they've rested Dominic Smith in the last month, you know, against left-handed pitching. 
Uh, it's basically just like they just need to give him a rest. He can't start every day uh, because, the, you know, he's tired at this point in the season. It's been a, a long year. Uh, and like I said, it, it's the first time that he's uh, playing a full major league season as an everyday player. Uh, and he needs a break every once in a while. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense to start Kevin Pillar against a lefty. So that's why it's come against lefties. Uh, so I, I think I, I, I've taken a step back from the kind of snap judgments about uh, what the lineup looks like. Like your lineup is not and like it is not going to be the best lineup to win on that day on an everyday basis for 162 games. You're going to have games where you don't put out your best lineup because that's going to be how you win over the course of 162 uh, rather than the course of, of 162 one game seasons the way we think of it in kind of an NFL context. Uh, so I, I try to avoid doing that, knowing that I don't have all of the information that the people making the decisions have. That doesn't mean that they're immune to criticism. You can't be just like, oh, well, they, you know, they know more than I do. So, uh, but it means you ask certain kinds of questions uh, after the fact to get a, a better answer of what was going into it. That is, I think, one hundred percent. I agree with you, and I am still, I'm still a little dissatisfied. And the Mets won the game, and they won the game uh, easily in the end. But that sixth inning, it wasn't it wasn't even Stroman uh, letting letting Stroman hit uh, that killed me. It was they pinch hit. It was it was worth pinch hitting for Brandon Drury with Jeff McNeil, and it worked out. And then with and and the Dodgers had a lefty up right, and so you can say, okay, well, if you pinch hit for Kevin Pillar with a lefty, they're going to bring in a lefty to neutralize him. But if you look like and, and you know you mentioned Pillar and. And his success against lefties, like, it, look at the splits. He hasn't he hasn't hit anybody, you know? And so it's like, well, I would rather take my chances with Conforto getting, like, or, or against a lefty, even. He he hasn't been, I think he's been about the same as Pilar, and he's a much better hitter for the course of his career. Like, to me, it was like, okay, here's his time to strike uh, when you can win the game. And it felt like Rojas was, like, holding too many of his cards there. But again, like, this is post-hoc analysis of a game they wound up winning despite that decision uh so i, I don't want to spend too much time on it yeah this is this isn't the first time we've thought they could be more aggressive pinch hitting in the middle of the game uh with, with some of their lefties off the bench uh and even for pilar i remember that that goes back to opening day right when we talked about mm-hmm. uh whether they could do that earlier in the game than, than they eventually did yeah i just i think that i've gotten i think that one thing like and if you look at the so the san francisco giants are a good example um in addition to all of the different things that the Giants have done well to put together a good team, uh, and the Dodgers are like this too, like you need to sometimes cut bait. And like, I, and the guy I'm thinking of with the Giants is Steven Duggar, who is very different than Kevin Pillar. He's a he's sort of been like a uh, he's always been with the Giants, but he's been a, a back and forth Triple A major league guy. He was your best hitter for a stretch of this season, and still had like a. Uh, an OPS around 900 at the All-Star break, something like that, he fell into a hole, and after, like, 15 games, they sent him down and stopped playing him. And, and you know, Pilar had a, a nice stretch earlier in the year, and he has just been struggling for so long. And, I, again, it's a, it's a difference of depth, right? They don't necessarily have a ready replacement for, for Kevin Pilar, who's going to be any better in the minor leagues. But... Uh, it's it's tough for me to swallow how many at bats that guy is getting on a team that has uh, postseason aspirations. Well, one of the the weird things when you compare them to the Giants, you know, the Giants play the matchup game uh, really well in the later innings. Uh, ask the Athletics because they did it to them twice over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the the interesting things, like their guys perform 
to the platoon advantage the way you'd expect, right? Like Darren Ruff crushes lefties, doesn't do anything against righties. Lamont Wade Jr. crushes lefties. I think he's got, sorry, crushes righties, has like one hit against a lefty this season, you know, barely faces them. Uh, I was surprised when I looked it up, actually, that the Mets have had more at-bats, more a higher percentage of their plate appearances with the platoon advantage than San Francisco this season. Uh, so they've, they've played the matchup game uh, decently well in that regard, uh, but their guys haven't played the way you ha- haven't produced the way you'd expect with or without the platoon advantage. You know, Smith has been better against lefties and not very good against righties. Uh, JD Davis has been great against righties, not very good against lefties. Pilar hasn't really hit anyone, but especially, you know, especially against lefties is underperforming his career track record. Uh, so th- there's a, a few different instances where like the, you know, this situation clearly calls for a, a, a pinch hitter here to play up to the platoon, the, you know, the career-long platoon advantage that a guy shows, but he's not showing it this year. And that makes it a bit more of a complex decision. I, you know, in Sunday's instance, it might make you more apt to bring in, like, Dominic Smith off the bench for Pilar, because if they bring in the lefty, that's fine. Dom Smith has done well against lefties this season, uh, especially lefty relievers. Uh, but uh, it's been, you know, a little bit harder for them to go full, you know, the, the Giants would not be having, would not strategize the same way they do if... Uh, you know, Darren Ruff were, had a 720 OPS against righties this year uh, and was actually hitting lefties differently. Or uh, if Lamont Wade Jr. were not such a, a uh, creature of the platoon advantage uh, for them this season. Uh, trivia question. When was the last time Kevin Pillar drew a walk? Uh, was it in, I, I would, in this second half of the season i mean he hasn't had that many plate appearances um he, it has been 81 plate appearances or at least uh, um it is it has been uh, th- he has played in 38 games since he last drew a walk he last drew a walk on june 29th in atlanta okay that is a, that is a while ago that he's been hit by pitches twice in that span but he has not taken a walk uh in that and in that span he has a uh 463 ops and a 198 on base percentage uh, yeah, again, I, 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 I'm not putting I'm not putting the Mets season on Kevin Pillar. I know he's a he's a is a bench guy, but uh, it it's it has not been good. Yeah, he's a guy who who kind of had the uh, and you're you're gonna dislike this comparison because you have in the past. Uh, he had the Jose Peraza skill of coming through with some big hits earlier in the season, and and look, he's still done it in the second half. He's got a pair of extra inning three run homers for them mm-hmm. wins. Um, but that you know when when fans were really on board with Kevin Pillar. Uh, he still had like a below league average OPS, and and wasn't it wasn't like he was, uh, you know, having an he didn't have an 850 OPS when when he was right. going well. He was he was right around 700, and then uh, you know since he's come back from the hit by pitch uh, to the the face uh, and hasn't played on a regular. I think really since he had, he's been out of the lineup on a regular basis, he's been going back to being a bench guy. It's been hard for him to adapt to that, and he just hasn't been able to to find any kind of offensive rhythm and. Uh, that, that's a hard thing for veterans to do. He, it looked like he was good at it earlier in the season, but it, it hasn't translated the last couple months. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? 
Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll do one more question real quick, uh, and then we'll wrap up. This comes from Joshua uh, at Joshua1990 on Twitter, who is listening to us from across the pond in London. Uh, by his own description, he says, In what situation do the Mets consider trading Jacob deGrom in a rebuild a la the Scherzer natu- Nationals situation? Yeah, I mean, we we railed against rebuilds last time. Uh, and, I, you know, I think, like, look at the... Look at the Giants. I know the Giants were bad for a couple of years. And they had the. Did they ever have the number? I think I say the number two pick when they got Joey Bart. Yeah. Uh, but like they have, they have not reaped the benefit of their bad years yet, uh, and they've got the best record in baseball. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't have like you can improve yourself without uh, losing a hundred games, or you know, in in Baltimore's case, one hundred and fifteen. Uh, so, I, I don't see. Certainly, it's not going to happen this offseason with DeGrom, right? Like, you can't, if you are uh, an opposing team and the Mets call you, you're like, hey, you interested in Jacob DeGrom? The first thing you think is, what is wrong with him? Like, this is is the best pitcher in baseball when he's healthy. He he wasn't healthy in the second half of the season, and now that team wants to trade him. Like, clearly something deeper is up. Right. um, With one year left on his deal. You can envision a scenario in which, uh, you know, I've, who knows what happens to the Mets this winter? Uh, but you get into next year, and there are their Mets are terrible. Uh, the first three and a half months of the year, uh, Degrom is kind of intermittently healthy, but effective during the stretches when he is. Uh, and the, the Mets are, are in the same position competitively as the Nationals were uh, around the trade deadline. And you know they don't feel like they're going to. You know they feel Degrom is good enough to opt out of his contract right. at the end of 2022. Uh, but not so good that they really feel comfortable re-signing him long-term. Uh, that's a really narrow uh, thread, that a possibility there for, for both sides to feel that way. Um, but there is the chance that that happens. Uh, and then, then you might look to trade him. But I think that's really a, that's kind of a worst case reading of the next 10 months. Like, yeah. That, uh, that they would be in that spot specifically uh, with, with him. Yeah, I think that that the opt-out is key, right? He can opt-out after next season, and so if the Mets are horrible and he's really good and it's like, okay, well, it's going to make sense for him to opt-out and and you get a sense that that's what's going to happen, then you think about it, right? Because trading a guy like that at the deadline, and I think I almost feel like you're going to get the same return at the deadline when it's a bidding war as you would in the offseason. And so there's really no other than the, the idea that, you know, you'd get the... I guess you hold on to him the whole season and you're going to get the draft pick if he if he leaves. And if you trade him, you might get in the offseason, you might get a slightly more value because the, the team that's acquiring him knows they might get the draft pick when he leaves. But uh, I think you're not going to trade him this offseason uh, if everything goes wrong and they're bad and they and he is has one foot out the door. Then you think about it next July. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to be really good next year, but really good in a way that makes you not want to keep him long-term as a, a big market team, uh, keep him a, a lifelong Met. And I think, you know, that's that's a hard thing to imagine happening. Like, it, you know, whether it's he misses some time early in the season and comes back and pitches really well for three starts and a team calls you and says, like, we'll give you our, our two of our top four prospects for him, two top 100 guys. Um, but, uh, you know, and if, if he's just hurt all year, which is a, that's probably the worst, worst case scenario, uh, for the Mets, then he he doesn't opt out and just mm-hmm. stays with the team for additional seasons. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's 
there is a scenario where that could make sense for them, but it's it's a, a very limited one. And I'll say briefly that there is no sense scenario where that really makes sense for baseball. And it is an indication of the way the sport uh, of uh, a significant flaw in. And I don't know the answer and it's a too big of a question to get into here. But uh, something is wrong if the Mets need to trade if the, the Mets, right, the uh, major market team needs to trade Jacob deGrom or if the Cubs want to trade Chris Bryant or if the Red Sox need to trade Mookie Betts. Like it shows the way that the um, the value of. Of a, a veteran superstar has shifted, and and the way that uh, you know young players and players under under their rookie contracts have just become, I think, too valuable to teams at this point. Um, and so there needs to be a change. There, like, there just needs to be a, a massive overhaul in the economics of the sport um, to the to the extent that Mets fans don't even want to consider trading Jacob Grom because it makes no sense because. They need to work out a way for like, especially and Brian and Betts are my favorite examples because they're World Series heroes and superstar young players. And in both cases, it absolutely made sense for their teams to trade them. I don't want a world in which that makes sense. I I do feel like fans, uh, I think fans look at tanking uh, and and rebuilding through a tank the same way uh, they do like relegation in in, uh, English football or something uh, that. Uh, it's something that seems really interesting to experience until you've experienced the bad part of it. Like, I, I don't think, you know, a- anyone who's ever, like, suggested that Major League Baseball should have relegation, uh, they're not, like, people who root for the relegated teams. <laughs> yeah, not, not a lot of like, Orioles fans no one, pulling for that one. No no one who roots for, like, what was it, like, League One and League Two teams that are levels below the Premier League. No one's like, I really like relegation. I think it works well. Like, um, you know... And and the same with like no one who experiences like four years of hundred of a hundred losses in a row would tell you like yeah that's fun that's totally worth it um, you know maybe if you come out the other side uh, and win a World Series right away the way the Cubs and Astros did then it feels a little bit more worth it but you also have to nail some other things in there things that like if the Mets just you know if the Mets made the Jake Arrieta trade that the Cubs made uh, they don't need to rebuild like that's more important than than spending three years being bad to get top draft picks. Those draft picks don't always work out, uh, as like, you know, Albert Elmora Jr., for instance, or with the the Astros' Mark Appel. Uh, so um, I, th- I think the, the other things that happen in a rebuild, uh, the, the good front office moves that, that you need to have to win a World Series, even when you do that, are the types of things that the, the Mets can, if they do those things, they will be in a very good spot, uh, regardless of their competitive situation. They should do those things, and we should both go get haircuts. <laughs> it's it's a, an important Tuesday for both of us. Yes, uh, and we will be back to recap our, our haircuts at some point later in the week. Tim, peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.